Welcome to the Working on the Weekend podcast. When you freelance or own your own business, you likely operate outside the typical nine to five. Join Peyton Robinson and Eileen Talkman each week as they spill the tea on being freelance marketers in the content and social world. You'll hear real life experiences about the grind of freelancing and poke a little fun at corporate America too. You'll never know what to expect from Peyton and Eileen's job in an ever-changing digital world. But one thing's for sure, they'll always be working on the weekends. Working on a weekend like usual. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Working on the Weekends podcast with your hosts, Peyton Robinson, and of course, Eileen Talkman. And today we have a mini-sode for you guys, and we are talking about marketing phrases we think you need to know. So if you've been working in the industry for a while, you probably know all of these. Um, these are This episode's more for people that are new to marketing, or maybe you're still in school, or you're an intern, or maybe you've been like working for a while and there's random things that you don't know what they mean and you just like refuse to look them up and you just like, sometimes I do that where I just pretend it means something. I'm like, I think it means something like this. Yeah. And then I just go for it. And I just assume that for a long time. So we're going to go through these. And I think this is a good like beginner marketing 101. Or maybe like you are dating somebody that works in marketing or um, maybe like your sister works in marketing and you're learning a few things. So when they talk about their jobs, you're kind of aware. Yes. I love that. Or even like if um, you're trying to go on like a Tinder date, you have an upcoming date with like some tech bro or something. And you're like any, like basically like any, like a lot of these things kind of trickle over to like a lot of the corporate world. But if you're going on a date with someone that's in any marketing role, and they're just like some cool guy and you really want to like impress him and pretend like you know stuff, here you go. You're welcome. So we're going to just quickly run through a bunch of terms, starting with must know acronyms because there are so many acronyms. So many. And this is almost like a mini corporate jargon list here. Oh my God. I was at a certain point like going through um, while I was coming up with some of the ideas and I was like, wait, do we need a corporate jargon section on just like common phrases, but I knew it would just become like at that point, it would no longer be a mini-sode. It would be a documentary. It would. (laughs) It'd be an informational, um, I don't know. It would be a long form piece of content. Let's just say that. Coming soon to HBO. (laughs) Literally. Okay. So let's dive in with the most common acronyms in marketing and what they mean. Eileen, kick us off. All right. I think I'm going to tackle two at the same time Mm. because they go together. We do. So we've got B2B and B2C. What does that mean? B2B means that you're marketing, your business is marketing towards other businesses because they could be great customers of your product or service. Yes. In contrast, B2C, business to consumer. That is brands that are marketing to you and me every day that want to just like buy random stuff online that need to hire someone to do something around our house, whatever it may be. That's a, that's a B2C business. Yeah. So we've got B2B and B2C. Quick examples of each. B2B would be like you're a software company and you put together some kind of client management tool for salespeople. And you're trying to find companies that have sales teams that the entire team would need the software and that would that, that's what that would look like. B2C would be anything that a consumer alone would buy, like clothes, Sephora. shoes, 
literally everything me and Eileen own. I'm staring at so many things on my like desk right now. We've Starbucks. got a Stanley Cup, Starbucks, my Apple iPad, um, some lotion. Like that's all B2C companies. Yep. Yeah. If when you think of like a business, you guys are probably more thinking of a B2C company. B2B, you get it. Moving yep. on. Moving on. To CTA, which is like probably one of the most common things you'll hear. Okay. Yes, 100%. So CTA is a call to action. So what does that mean? It means you're asking someone to take an action through your marketing materials, whether that's on a website saying, click here to schedule a demo, fill out this form, register for the webinar. Those are all call to actions. You're asking whoever your audience is directly to take an action. Yep. On social, go to the link in our bio. That's a Tap CTA. this to learn more. Yes. CTA is basically taking that person and asking them to do something, which you'll see in pretty much every piece of website content, a lot of yeah. social content. You get it. Okay. Next. Next, one. we've got CTR, which is click-through rate. So that is like a little bit of a mathematical equation that mm -hmm. is defining the amount of people that have like seen your stuff and then of them who's actually clicking on that CTA to learn more, read more, schedule a demo. Click-through rate is used a lot in emails to kind of gauge your email success. Um, yeah. And yeah. yeah if you're running ads. Very common one. Yeah. If you're seeing like a video ad, it's like how many people went from this ad and clicked through mm -hmm. to our website. And same with emails. How many people actually opened this email? There's also open rates. Yeah. Oh, That's gosh. when you open we an could, email. We could keep going down that road. It hole. literally goes forever. But click-through rate is pretty simple, I think. Right? Yeah. And that a lot of companies like to use click-through rate. Um, it's a nice like all-encompassing number that you know, open rate is one thing, but then the click-through rate, like knowing like, okay, they actually opened this. So let's, let's skip past that. They're actually looking at whatever this is and they were right. interested and they clicked to learn more. It's like taking them to like closer to their final destination. Yeah. Like opening, you opened it, clicking. Now you're like actually leaving that email and taking the action with the CTA mm -hmm. that we wanted you to take. And right. then the final step is, do they actually fill out a form and like actually take whatever action you wanted them to take once they got to the website? Right. Moving right on along to something that a click-through rate could be considered, which is a KPI. And this is a jargony jargon jargon, okay? KPIs, key performance indicators. What does that mean? That's basically the proof that things are working or are not working. So if you're working in social and you're pulling your analytics, those could be considered KPIs. Those are proof. Those are the indicators that something is successful or not successful. For example, on social, some KPIs could be follower count, impressions, link right. clicks. Those would all be examples of KPIs. If the business is like, hey, we're looking to gain awareness, one example of that without as a KPI is impressions. That's right. Oh, this is a this one's a doozy, guys. We've got SEO, search engine optimization. SEO is how do I find the words to describe this? It's like you have a piece of content or you're writing um, an Instagram caption or you're writing something that's just going to like show up on the internet and you want it to have certain keywords that have been identified by you and your company as keywords that people search that will get them to look at your stuff. Yes. And typically, you know, I know um, 
companies I've worked for in the past, you can hire like an agency to sort of do like an SEO deep dive on your website and your brand. Competitors. And, yes, yes. And identify what those keywords are. And then when you're working on content and copy in some way, shape or form, you can make sure you're utilizing more of those SEO keywords to make your content more successful. And basically like you want it to show up on like a Google search. You're hacking the Google's algorithm. Yes. The idea of it is literally to hack Google's algorithm to get your content to show up on that first page. Yeah. So if you're Sephora and people are looking for places to buy a specific mascara, you want to be on that first page. If you're a blogger that talks about beauty and you've reviewed that mascara, your goal is to try to get that review on that first page. How? By basically using SEO to add specific parameters and different things to your content tags and things that will be promoted by Google, right? Yep. Close it's complicated. It, that one's complicated. I don't know it's, a lot about it. It's SEO. very complicated. There are people that are specific like SEO copywriters or SEO, you know, content managers, yeah. things like that. Like it can be a very, very specific job role at a bigger company. Totally. Um, yeah. Okay. Next. Okay. Next up is life cycle stages. So there are some companies that will have a whole like life cycle marketing team or the word life cycle and like that's those stages of a business come up often. And what that basically means is life cycle stages are how companies are tracking their clients and their customers, whatever it is for your business, whether B2B or B2C. And basically, are they following that process? So first, they're introduced to the company. Let's say they find out about the company. They start making purchases from the company. You have that retention period. We're trying to keep people utilizing your products, utilizing your services, keep coming back for months and months to come. And then you know that some people fizzle off. So it's like, how do we stretch that period where people are utilizing and become lifelong customers so that that period never ends. So life cycle is exactly what it means. It's the stages of your relationship with a customer or a client and kind of hacking that as well to see how long can we keep them as a client? What can we do to extend that period of working together after yeah. that initial growth? Right. And ideally you want it to just kind of like, Forever. once you hit a certain stage, you like keep circling through those yes. later stages and maybe you have more products or more things to offer them. Yes, exactly. Like you can go back to the, you can go back to introducing a new product to them yeah. and then growing in that phase. And then now they're in a retention phase again, where they're, you're, they're purchasing that they're working with you for that. And if you can keep that cycle going without them ever going to the decline stage, that's a good sign. Yes, it is. Beautiful sign. Next up, we have UX, which is user experience. So I think this is kind of a little more of like a modern um, marketing phrase, definitely newer in the last, I don't even want to say few years, but maybe like the last decade or so, this yeah. has really become like a um, specific job role. And what a UX, it's usually like you're like a UX designer or like director of UX, and you're really focusing on the customer experience on your like digital um platform so your website yes. your social media your blog whatever it may be and you're you're kind of putting yourself in your customer's shoes and really learning a lot about them and how they want to engage with your stuff what they like to see kind of we work closely too with like graphic designers because you want your assets and you know images and stuff like that to reflect 
what the customers want to see as well. So yeah. And then there's also UI, which I feel like these are like common terms together. So just like a little bonus UI is you like the user interface. So it's the actual like back end. So if you're building out a custom website, you have UX, which is the actual experience that someone will have on your site. And then the UI is like the technical side of like, okay, how do we actually get that created for our UX person? Or you could be both people and know like, okay, this is the journey I want the users to take. Now I have to actually create that interface within my website or an app or whatever it is. That's right. Okay. Another biggie, this is ROI, which I feel like everyone's heard this one. Maybe you didn't know exactly what that meant. You might know it means return on investment, which is what it means. But if you need a little bit more details on what ROI is, when we're talking about return on investment, it's pretty simple. You're putting money out. You want to get more back than you put in. Time is also money. So if you're spending a lot of time on something and someone's paying you for it, or you're paying someone for their time, again, was it worth it? So if you're running ads for social, which is something that we know a decent amount about, and you put $1,000 into an ad and you make $0. That's a bad ROI. You have a 0% ROI. Your goal is to get to a point where you're making more money off of the ads. If you're selling something, you're Sephora, you're selling makeup. If you're putting $500,000 into ads a month, you better be making over 500,000 and hopefully a lot above that as your return on your investment. Mic drop. Those are the acronyms. That is the final acronym that we had. There are more acronyms to come, but they're in a little bit of different categories. True. Those are just like the base. Yes. Those are some like baseline acronyms that are just like must knows. Yeah. And now we're going to scale. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely going to scale up a little bit and go into. We're going to scale on to the next section. Yeah. Which are some like content and advertising terms. Yeah. So the first one that we're throwing at you dynamic content. Um, I have a great like little, little ditty about this one. I'm so ready. Um, the choose your own adventure books. Oh my God. Yeah. I actually forgot about those. Dynamic content is like the choose your own adventure book of marketing. So true. Eileen. Yes. Yeah. Do you love that? Yeah. Because basically like dynamic content it's pretty self-explanatory. It's going to be dynamic. It's going to change based on how you're uh, interacting with it. Yeah. Like a good example of that would be you go to a website and they have an interactive chart that you can play around with to see something. There's also a video that explains the same information. There's a link to a blog post. You can view it on your phone as well as online. Like there's different formats to a piece of content so that it can reach the most people in whatever way they would be most likely to want to engage with that content. Yeah. And okay. I was thinking about this too. You know, when you're on a website and it, you're not like looking at a map or anything, but they ask for like, could you grant access to your location? Because they probably have dynamic content that is based on where you are. Yes. Yes. So kind of interesting. Yeah. That's a good point too. Like it's more catered. It's more of like a personalization as well. Yes. Okay. Next up, evergreen content. So evergreen content means that a piece of content, whether that's, when we say content, we mean like a blog post, a video, a literally any piece of content that can live for a decent amount of time. Now, evergreen doesn't mean it will literally live forever, but it can live for at least six months to a year, I think is actually like the definition. 
I could be wrong on that. Eileen will fact check me. No, she won't. Who cares? I'm going to say I, it. I won't because like I think it just depends on the business. It just depends on what it is. So if you're a comp- – if you're Sephora and you're talking about best mascaras – of 2023, that's a great piece of content. That's evergreen for the entire year of 2023, right? People can go and look at the best mascaras list throughout the entire year. But next year, oof, they can't, right? If you do a video and it's about the best mascaras of 2023, no one's going to watch that in 2024. So you'll have to redo that piece of content or make a different piece of content. And evergreen content, the idea is that it lives forever. So if you're writing a blog post on your favorite mascaras, that's a little bit more evergreen because maybe you haven't tried that many new mascaras. Maybe for the last five years, these are the mascaras you've used and you'll use the same ones for the next five years, right? That would be more evergreen or discussing reviews on specific mascaras that already exist. People are going to go buy that mascara a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, and they might check out your review. Yeah. And you hopefully in those cases don't have to update that content as often. Um, in this example, I guess you'd update it if they discontinued a certain type of mascara, yeah. but otherwise it could really live forever. Right. But also evergreen is such a corporate jargon. It's such a corporate jargon. And basically the goal of it is, hey, we don't have – I'll do some jargon while I say this. Um, we don't have the bandwidth to create six new blog posts each month. So we need some blog posts that have good SEO Ooh. and you know are fairly dynamic with mm. – our audience and that way they're more evergreen and they will live on for the next year. So we don't have to focus on covering that topic for a while because we have an existing piece of content around it. But here's the secret, you guys. For social, there's really no such thing as evergreen because everything changes all the time. And that's just life. Also on social, things don't even live on social long enough because they have a lifetime of like a day less. Evergreen content is like you're planting a tree and it stays forever on social. It's like that succulent you buy that you think you're going to like have for a long time and it dies because you can't keep anything alive. That's We all have had that succulent. You know what I'm talking about. We've all had that succulent. But the apple tree, she's chilling. People are still grabbing the apples for years mm-hmm. to come. That's right. Such a, such a good um, – Are my comparisons like comparison. giving today? They're really giving. Thanks. I feel like your coffee's really hitting, I feel like. It sure is. What's next, Queen? Okay. Next, we have native advertising. So say you're on a company's blog and they have like their list of blog posts. And then you kind of notice off on the side, there's like another list of things, but they aren't actually the website that you're on's content. It is other people advertising to have their stuff on their site that matches the it, yeah. theme of the content. It tricks so, you. It looks yes. similar. It, mm-hmm. it vibes with like everything that you're looking at, but that's not actually that company's content. Right. It's like still like a paid advertising opportunity. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess a good way to look at this is if you're on Facebook and you have a bunch of random ads, right? You're like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. Or like any website that's like kind of scammy, you're like Googling like how to fix your washer. And like, there's like a bunch of like pop-ups every two seconds and they have nothing to do with anything. And you're like, okay, that's just like a regular ad. Like that's just like going out to everyone that they, anywhere they can get that placement, they're putting it, right? Whereas a native ad is like, oh, I'm a mascara company. I want my ads to show up on blog posts talking specifically about mascaras. And I want to make those in a way that it feels organic to that blog post that someone could – like they see it and they're like, oh, that mascara looks good. They click it and they're like, oh, 
I thought it was going to be a review on the mascara, but it just took me to buy it. And you know what? I'll buy it. Next, we have organic versus paid. So this is, especially for social, something we see a lot. Organic content is content that's put out for free. So organic content would be any posts that go out on your social platforms that aren't like sponsored content, whatever. Just any post that a business puts out is an organic piece of content, a reel, a post, a Instagram story, et cetera. Paid, pretty simple. It's paid. So if you get an Instagram ad or a TikTok ad or you hire an influencer and you sponsor an influencer to talk about your brand, that's all advertising that you're paying for versus organic. You're still advertising your brand. Hey, this is us. This is us but you're not actually putting any money behind it besides whoever you hired to put together that post. Pretty simple. Yep. Love it. But that's a big one, especially in social. Next, we're back with the acronyms, you guys. We have got PPC, pay per click. So basically, this is a form of advertising that you're only paying if your things get clicked on. Yeah, like a Google search ad. Yes. So like a good example of that. If pay-per-click, you're paying solely on the clicks that an ad gets. So if you hire a digital agency or whatever. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Digital agency. agency. Oh my God. If you're running, an agency's running ads, your cost for those ads is based off of direct results. Did somebody click it? You got paid for, you had to pay them for that click. They don't click it. They just see it. You don't pay for it, which a good example of that. That's how I believe all Google search ads are. Mm -hmm. And then that turns into kind of going back a little discussion on ROI because hopefully the clicks that you're paying for are turning people into customers or at least at a minimum getting them in the funnel and making them customers eventually. Right. And it's typically like a lower cost ad than if you were to run a video ad or a TV commercial. Like obviously having something that kind of lives there and you're only paying if someone clicks on it, a little bit easier. Yeah, it's a little bit of a low-hanging fruit, if some, as some would say. As some might say. All right. Next up, UGC, which is user-generated content. What does it mean? We've talked about this before, but essentially what it is, is if you're a brand and you want to create content that looks super native super organic to the platform, like you are a mascara company, you want to have content that looks like an influencer raving about your product, but you don't want to just have like constantly have influencers like all over your page. Like it gets kind of weird, right? What can you do besides hire a contractor like me or Eileen? You can hire UGC creators. And what their job is, is to essentially create user-generated content that looks like something you'd see from an influencer, you'd see on Instagram, TikTok, something that just seems super normal. Someone using the mascara, someone going to Sephora and picking up the mascara, someone reviewing it, someone doing their their skincare and makeup routine and the mascara's in view and then they put some on. They're hiring UGC creators whose job it is to create content that looks like influencer content, they can be an influencer. A lot of times creators that make this type of content, they are also a creator. Like they have their own platform and they're an influencer in some way. But there's also some agencies and individuals like contractors that don't show up as an influencer anywhere, but they know the aesthetic, they know the style, they know how to create that organic content. And then they create that organic content for you to post on your page. And then 
when people go to your page, it's like, wow, there's some normal content here. Not everything is so clearly coming from a business where it's kind of like off-putting. There's some nice content sprinkled in that seems super organic to something you'd see naturally just scrolling on your phone. Yeah. And I think a good point with this one too is, yes, this resembles influencer content a lot, but the difference is, Peyton said this a few seconds ago, it's it's only being posted by your page. It's not like you're not doing a collab with an influencer. Right. It's not like they're posting it and tagging you in it. Right. It's you're, you own that content then and it's on your page. It's essentially like paying a photographer or a videographer yeah. to create content that looks good for social, that's so social first. Like it's a trend, it's a reel, it's something organic in that way, but you're really, they're a videographer. Yep. That's and exactly just a specific style. This last little of marketing phrases to know has no rhyme or reason. It's this just, is the junk drawer. Yeah. <laughs> the junk drawer of marketing phrases. While they don't really belong to a certain category, they are very important. They're necessary. Like you can't throw out anything in the junk drawer. That's why the junk drawer is there. One day I will need this tape. I will need this single stamp that I have left. I will need it. I will need and this 18th pen that I got at a conference. I will need this expired Dunkin' Donuts rum coupon on the back of a receipt from the grocery store. Someday. I will need this fortune cookie that I didn't want to eat when I bought my Chinese food, but I thought it'd be kind of nice to have another time. Okay, really quickly. I think we need to go, we need to discuss this. Do you keep like sauces from a fast food place? Yes. So like, is there like, okay, I used to keep Chick-fil-A sauce. That was the only sauce I'd really keep just because like I didn't have it anywhere else. However, now they sell it. So mm. I don't keep sauces. But whenever I'm at someone's house and I'm like, do you have a pen? Do you have tape? Do you have super glue? And they're like, yeah, it's in the junk drawer. Like whatever. They always have like soy sauce, sweet and sour sauce, mm. like a collection of sauces. And are you one of them? Um, they're not in my junk drawer, but they're in the fridge. We have this like weird hmm. little random section of our fridge that is like you could not even fit like a can of – anything in there. You couldn't really? fit a water bottle. It's weirdly shaped. You can't fit anything in it. What's but, the point? Well, for us, it's to keep the little sauces that you get from restaurants mm. because um, this is so weird, but my husband and I, neither of us like ketchup. Oh, same. Wait, oh. you know that about me, right? I feel like we've talked about this. Actually. I have a fear of ketchup. It's terrifying. Like I won't, I can't like watch someone eat ketchup. I cannot kiss my fiance after he eats ketchup. He doesn't even eat ketchup, but like if it's, he'll eat it if it's on something, but he doesn't yeah. like it. I just no. If it's ketchup. on something, it's like I'm like I can't. I, can't I will eat not. This. I will literally. I'd rather start. I'll send day. it back. I wouldn't. You couldn't pay me to eat ketchup. Same. Literally, you could no. like never. It's disgusting when people eat it on like eggs or something. I want to die. Oh, that's terrifying. Or like hash browns, like stop. terrifying. Yeah. I, I, okay. So we have phobias of ketchup on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know that other people like it. So if we get like packets of ketchup with takeout mm. we'll keep it because i you know i'm while i hate it and i want nothing to do with it i also um am a gracious host and yes, i want it to be available cream. for people yeah when people come to my house i'm like you can have barbecue you mm -hmm. can have chick-fil-a oh, you can have, have ketchup i won't even touch the little packets of ketchup i'll touch them but i don't because like they're it. always like touching like i feel like when you go somewhere like the ketchup packets are like covered in ketchup on the out you know what i mean it's always like messy yeah. in there no, and i'm like it's really not a safe place i think we sound insane though we do anybody else hate ketchup on that's listening to i'm so curious we i we i know we both like 
I can't do it. If ketchup was like on my plate with food, like let's say you order like fries, oh, I get rid of that tip like, so like fast <laughs> immediately. And it's at the end of the table. And when they come back, I'm like, oh, I don't need the ketchup. And they're like, okay. Like they like go to leave it there. I'm like, no, like can you take it away? Yeah. Or I have to like hide at like a restaurant when there's a ketchup bottle. I'll put like the little cocktail menu like in front of it or something. I'm not okay if you're wondering, guys. I'm unwell. I relate to this so deeply, though. But we sound – yeah, and I love that we're we both sound insane, way. but yeah. There has to be others of us out there. If there's any Bruce's out there that mm-hmm. – Bruce. Hey, ketchup, let us know. Yeah, let us know. Well, I'll uh, – you know what? This is so unhinged. I'll put this on Instagram and we'll Perfect. try to get some feedback. We need the feedback. Okay, but here's our Okay, so how we got stuff. here, guys, ketchup, back to sauces, back to junk drawers, back to this last category of marketing phrases to know. Heck yeah, it is. Okay. So – do you want me to do the first one? No, I got it. I just okay. I'm just lost. Okay, um, no, me too, me too. I don't know where I am. You guys, our first one is UTM codes. I'm not gonna lie, I thought that the U in UTM codes was unique. Oh. Because me too. UTMs are a way to really specifically track a URL um that's shared in a certain way. So we've talked a lot about email and social on this episode. Um, so if you have a link on a CTA in an email, you can add a, a little like specific um, amount of little. text. No, you're right. Actually, you're so right. It's not little. They're so long. You guys, they're when so you, long. When you open an, a link to something from an email, from like an SMS text from a brand you like, and you like go to copy and paste a link, everyone's done this once. And you're like, what the fuck? This link is so long. Like, why would this link be so long? That's a UTM code. Yeah. They're using these certain parameters to track the metrics, basically. Mm-hmm. And Google it's, Analytics. It's a way that you can, like, track your success. And you, you know, you have a blog post and you share that blog on social, on email, and you want to know where, you know, the traffic is coming from the most reading this blog post. You don't, it's not even that you would, um, You'd get one that's like, how to do an email, how to do on social. You could have put this link in two spots in your email and it's like link one in the email link or spot one mm-hmm. in the email, spot two in the email. And you on social, do- it's like how to do on social. No, how to do on Facebook, how to do on Instagram, yes. how to do on Instagram stories, how to do on LinkedIn, how to do on YouTube. Like you can really, really get very granular here. Yes. It's all a bunch of parameters that mm-hmm. you put in place that are just unique. So yeah, you could say this is going from to Facebook. It's basically an overly explained description in code of mm-hmm. what the this is and where it's going. So it's a blog post going to Facebook from this campaign, X, Y, and Z. Then in Google Analytics, you can search up, okay, from Facebook, how many things that were marked as a blog, like how many impressions did we get from everything marked as a blog? How yeah. many people click those links? What about just from this campaign? What about just on Twitter? Yeah. What about just on Twitter and Facebook? So in Google Analytics, you're able to look at all of that data or hire someone to look at all that data yeah. based on the codes that you put on there. Um, but to actually come back to what does UTM stand for, it actually stands for Urchin Tracking Module. I like don't think I knew that. I'm sorry. Urchin. U-R-C-H-I-N. Okay. Um, love that. I don't really know how we got to the little little mermaid from here, but we did. I like to call <laughs> yes, a sea urchin. I, I like to refer to it as a unique tracking metric. I, I like to refer so to it. Better. That's what it should be. Like, you guys, just call it a UTM. No one's ever gonna like, um, what's the formal name? 
what does UTM mean? In your interview for your first job, like, yeah. oh my God, I still don't know. And I, I make them every day. So, um, okay. Yeah, Peyton's Next a UTM up. queen in case I really wondering. am, but only making them. I don't know how to look at the data. Yeah. She hates me because I made her make some for me this week. No, I love making them for you. Anyone else I hate for you, I love. Okay. Um, next up is responsive design. So what does it mean? Okay. You guys all know that when you look at anything online, people are looking at it from different screens, right? Someone could be looking at it from a huge Mac desktop. Someone could be looking at it on a regular laptop. Someone could be putting it on a TV in a presentation room, in a meeting room somewhere. Someone could just be looking- Perhaps on a BlackBerry, perhaps on an iPhone, perhaps on an Android, or a different size iPhone, right? Like it's going to look a little bit different because all these screens are a different size. So what a responsive design is, is essentially if you were to take the corner of your computer screen, whatever what, like tab you have open, and play back and forth, making it smaller and bigger, and the whole website smooshes and adjusts with you, that's a responsive design. That's how now in the current digital age, everyone's doing. That's best practice. What it would look like if you were to make the screen smaller on your computer without a responsive design, all of a sudden a bunch of stuff's going to be cut off. It's like almost like it just cropped it. It doesn't adjust with you. So responsive, it responds to you and responds across devices and knows how to stack itself for the different platforms and devices. Yep. If you're not doing it, it's a big no-no. True. I haven't been on a website that hasn't done that in a long time. Yeah. You don't want to be. No, you really don't. Um, this is a nice little corp jargon piggyback off of that. And that would be mobile first optimization. And I think it is also just best practices these days for a lot of at least like B2C companies. Look, I'm already utilizing things that we taught you earlier in the session. Um, Are making sure that their like website and their content looks good on mobile before they're worried about what it looks like on desktop. Right. Because I think as time goes on, more and more people are really just using their phones rather than like, I'm going to whip out my laptop to do some online shopping. Like, no, you're scrolling on your phone while you're on the train somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And we're at a point too, where it's like one, like, yeah, no one's pulling out their laptop. Like, I'm sorry. It's very boomer to like, Oh, I need to look something up. Could you imagine like pulling out your laptop just to Google something? No one does that, right? I know. So knowing that people aren't doing that, you know that they're going to use the app or not even the app, just any mobile interface. Why not make it look better for where the majority of people are coming from? Another thing that you can track in Google Analytics, you can see exactly what devices people are utilizing to view your content. And if you're going to see just like everyone else, unless you're very B2B and you're selling things when people are working and they're looking it up on their work computer, they're probably looking it up on their phone or an iPad or something. And with that, we want it to look best first for the people that are looking at it on their phone, which is most people. That's right. Okay. Next up, testimonial. So a testimonial is an experience. It is proof for your business from an individual that has used your services, has bought your products. Some examples would be a review. If someone's reviewing a product, that's a testimonial. They're saying, hey, this is my experience with X mascara. If someone does a video talking about your product or you do an interview with someone and you ask them their experience using the mascara or you ask them for some kind of case study, 
in the last 30 days, did you see your eyelashes looking longer? Did you notice this? Did you notice that? Those are all pieces of the puzzle when it comes to proof that is really important for a business to say like, hey, we can prove that people like our products across social, across our website. Most companies have testimonials, case studies from other prior clients, things like that. That's all really just a testimonial. It's someone's personal experience about your brand or company. Testimonials are a very important piece to your marketing strategy. Always. In any business, you'll, and if they're not, and you want to look really good going into a company, if you are putting together a social strategy and you're like, hey, do we have any reviews or testimonials that we can include? Because people want to see that other people like a product, right? We all do Mm -hmm. it. You go on Amazon, you go to the reviews. We all do it. In testimonials, mm, I love just like relating everything back to what we've already talked about. Testimonials are a great piece of evergreen content. Yes, exactly. Like someone's review is never going to be old news. Right. Unless you like literally change your whole company or like you change the name of your company and they're talking about working on the weekends and it's now just WOTW, maybe, but that's really it. They're very evergreen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next up, we have the word engagement. I feel like it's a big marketing buzzword. It's kind of jargony. Engagement is just like people interacting with you, your brand, your emails, your social, your website. They're engaging. We don't really need to explain it more than that. No. Like it's It's very simple. Yep. But it's a word that's used a lot. Campaign jargon. Jargon. Campaign is our next one. A campaign is basically a marketing strategy for a specific time period, an event, a sale, a launch, a retirement, anything where you are putting a focused effort into one thing and that the campaign would be the overall. So if you're doing a Black Friday sale, it's your Black Friday campaign. And then you have social, you have email, you have website content, you have ads running. Those are all a part of the strategy, but the overall campaign is Black Friday 2023. Mm -hmm. Great example. Okay. We have one more. Last one. And I wanted to include this one because I think, you know, a lot of these acronyms kind of are like focused on when you're trying to make money off of marketing activity. But brand awareness is really important in marketing. um, And it doesn't usually have like an ROI associated with it. Mm But making sure your brand is top of mind for people, known by people, just getting more eyes on your brand basically is a huge part of marketing as well. So, Can I add an anecdote for that? Please. How I was taught a long, long time ago about awareness, and I always think about it, is I was told it's like the billboard on the side of the road. That is a great example of an awareness strategy. So if you see a McDonald's Diet Coke on the side of the road, like on a sign, you might not go follow them. Like they have no way of tracking, right? Who saw that and then who went to a McDonald's and bought? Like it's impossible to know. However, so they're not able to track that, but there's a good chance that the next time you're in the mood for a Diet Coke, you're like, oh, let me go to the McDonald's drive-thru. It's kind of like playing into your mind subconsciously as like, oh, I remember this brand. Or if you see a mascara company, you keep seeing them pop up. You don't really know anything about it. You just kind of see it either on a billboard, on an ad, on social every once in a while. And then maybe one day when you're at Sephora, you're going to naturally gravitate towards that product because 
you've seen it. So it's more familiar than all the other mascaras you've never seen. But again, that mascara company cannot track if I went and bought a mascara from something I saw on a billboard a year ago. Or like if someone online is randomly talking about that mascara and they're not being paid by Sephora right. to promote it. They're not like an influencer. Um, again, being like doing an ad for that mascara. Yeah. You're just getting brand awareness from that. Yeah. Another can't way track that. you'll hear it too is brand visibility. So it's basically like visibility is more of just like, hey, are we showing up? Are people able to find us or learn more about us? Where are they able to learn more about us? Are they finding us from influencers on TikTok? Are they seeing us at the store and that's where they're buying us? Can we get a closer spot in the Target beauty section to where people first enter or some kind of little display to become more visible and get in front of more people? And again, all of that awareness stuff, it's a big part of marketing, but a lot of companies really don't see the value in awareness. They're more focused on the ROI. Mm -hmm. Hey, we can't prove that this works. So a lot of times it's a combination of awareness and something else as, you know, your business objectives, because a lot of awareness is hard to track. Yep. Bumsky. Yeah. So but on that note, good luck. Actually, I have one last thing to say, even though this is getting a little long for a mini, so I'm going to talk really fast. No, you can't. Um, I hope that this was helpful. Actually, this is a nice, this, this will just be part of the outro. Perfect. Okay. I hope this was helpful for everyone listening if you are just curious about certain marketing terms. Um, I wish I had a resource like this when I first like had my first job because I think phrases like this are not really taught. I went I went to college, guys. I paid a lot of money, spent four years. I didn't learn a lot of these phrases in college. I didn't start learning them until I was actually working and getting experience. And I'm gonna give a special um honorable mention to the phrase copy. When I started working and people were like, do you have the copy for this? I was literally like, what? Wait, that's such a good one. Did I copy this? Like, mm -hmm. what are you talking about? I did not know that people used the phrase copy to describe like text. Text. Like, did you write this out? Yeah. What's the copy for the email? Like what, is, yeah. what written content is on the emails? What they're I'm asking. working on the copy for this flyer. That's such a good one. Honestly. I had no idea what that meant. And I, w I felt so lost. So. And you try to Google it too. And it's like also kind of jargony and like yeah. very like technical. And I'm like, no, can like somebody just tell me what this means? Cause you know, you're on a call and someone's saying words you don't know. You're quickly Googling them. And you're like, mm -hmm. I like, let's say you Google UTM. I would still literally not know from a Google search. Like if I had no idea what that was, that yeah. would not tell me anything. Right. And there is no other resources really that I know of, like what we're doing here where we're truly giving a crash basic, course, a crash course on these terms in the most basic sense with examples. Yep. Didn't exist. And now us. you're welcome. Okay. Um, anyways, I'm going to go work on the copy for the show notes for this episode because Are I can't you? wait for everyone to listen to it. Yeah. We got to really expand our brand awareness. So, and SEO. Yeah, we do. We're working on it. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Hope this was helpful. If this was helpful to you or if you know someone like getting started in marketing, maybe they're in college, like getting a marketing degree, they want to work in marketing, share this with them. We would love that if you wanted to, um, you know, just spread the word about the Working on the Weekends podcast and totally. more ways you can get info on the Working on the Weekends podcast is to follow us on Instagram at WOTW pod and on TikTok 
at WOTWpod. Our TikToks are so funny, if I do say so myself. Eileen's been killing the game lately. I get motivated and I record like five at a time. I need to get back into it. Once I start, it's so fun. I want you to do more. I need to. I like doing it a lot. Yours are like, I just like do stuff on trending sounds and you are like actually so creative and fun. (laughs) I don't know about that. Unless it's Tim Robinson. But anyways. A king. Anyways, on that note, we're going to go. We're going to go. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We love you. See you next Monday. Bye, Brucies. Bye. Working on a weekend like usual. 